But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In the name of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. Good morning. This, this morning on our lessons, there are three points that I'm um, hoping that we'll come away with. One, what stories we listen to are important because our brains synchronize with the voice that we listen and accept. Two, in Jesus is contained the story that will bring us wholeness. Three, don't listen to the story that the brothers of Joseph listened to. I've been very interested in the concept of intentional listening lately. Um, I recently picked up a book by Father James Sullivan. He's a Catholic priest entitled The Good Listener. It's one of those books that you read over and over. I'll probably read it once or twice every year for the rest of my life. Um, and in doing that, in reading that, I decided I needed to do a little bit more research. And I found an article on listening that's apropos for this morning. It's entitled, How Stories Connect and Persuade Us, Unleashing the Brain Power of Narrative. It's written by Elena Renkin for Health News from NPR in 2020. This article explains how the brain works when someone is listening to a story, to a narrative. It gives scientific evidence that narrative is much more effective for growing a person's values and habits, for forming us as human beings than facts and data and arguments are. Here's an excerpt from the article. On functional MRI scans, many different areas of the brain light up when someone is listening to a narrative. Neely says, not only do the networks involved in listening to the, a narrative, um, in, I'm sorry, not only do the networks involved in language processing light up, but other neural circuits light up as well. One study of listeners found that the brain network that processes emotions arising from sounds along with areas that involve movement were activated when listening, especially during the emotional parts of the story. As you hear a story unfold, your brain waves actually start to synchronize with those of the storyteller, says Yuri Hassan, professor of psychology and neuroscience at Princeton University. When he and his research team recorded the brain activity in two people, one telling the story and the other one listened, they found that the greater the listener's comprehension and acceptance of that story, the more closely the brainwave patterns mirrored that of the storyteller. Brain regions that do complex information processing seem to be engaged, Hassan explains. He says, it's as though, quote, I'm trying to make 
your brain similar to mine in areas that really capture the meaning, the situation, the schema, the context of the world around you. Listen to that again. The storyteller is trying to make your brain similar to his or hers in areas that capture the meaning, the um, situation, the schema, and the context of the world around you. In other words, stories create the fabric of our lives, right? Isn't it amazing how science is what they're finding out for us? Well, God, our, the great storyteller, right? He is the great storyteller. He's completely aware of this idea. And, he, and that's why he teaches us in narrative. The idea that stories, that we, th those we truly listen to and accept, actually do something to not only our thinking, but our emotions. Stories that we listen to actually start to synchronize our brain waves with that one who's telling us the story. Have you ever heard the phrase, you are what you eat? Well, now we know you are, same goes with listening, you are what you listen to and what you accept into your thinking. We become connected with the storyteller that we're listening to. When I read that, I had to stop. I had to stop and ask myself, what or who am I listening to when I hear that I'm not enough? Nobody likes me. I'm dumb. I can't do blah, 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 whatever it is. Put it in there for yourself. I can't do. I've, or I've done too much bad. I can never be worthy enough. Or better yet, I am bad. Who's talking to me? What is the, who's the storyteller there by hearing that? It isn't Jesus. It is not Jesus. Last week in our lessons, we heard that God the Father says during the transfiguration, this is my son, listen to him. Peter, James, John, Jesus is the one to listen to. Jesus is the special one among you. He's the one with the story that you want to listen and accept. He is the special one amongst us. We see this specialness in our gospel lesson today. Jesus, even before he's resurrected, right? He goes out walking onto the water in, on the fourth, night, fourth watch of the night during a storm. The, the disciples are in the boat and they see him coming, but they don't know it's him. They think it's a ghost. And they're very uh, uh, upset. And he, what does he do? He speaks encouraging words to them, comforting words to them, peaceful words. He says, it's okay, it's me. Then Peter gets out of the boat, right? He, he's looking at Jesus. Now notice, as he's connected to Jesus, Peter is walking on water. He, when he sees Jesus, he's like, I'm there. And then his focus turns to the storm. And he listens to the story of the storm. It affects his emotion, and he becomes afraid, and he begins to sink. And he says, Lord, save me. And Jesus, right? Whoosh. All right. Here we go. Picks him up, takes him over to the boat, and they get in the boat. And when they get in the boat, what happens? 
The, the wind's calm, it says. But if you've ever been out on a boat, have you ever been out on a boat in the sea in the storm? You know it's not just the winds, right? Those waves get going. I mean, I was in Lake Monroe one time, and it's just a lake, and caught in a storm, and it was freaking me out. We could hardly get there. So here they are. It's, the wind ceases, and you know at the same time that everything became calm. The disciples are in that boat. Imagine yourself there. That happens. And what do they do? They look at Jesus. They look at Jesus and they say to him, in their mouths, out of their mouths, they worship him. They say, truly, you are the son of God. They knew that Jesus was the one, the special one amongst them. Now, the disciples are slowly getting, getting the fact. They're getting it that the word was near them. I mean, can you imagine that in the being in the boat when Jesus did that? And, and their mouth confessed that Jesus is Lord. They would come to see him resurrected and believe in that resurrection. And it changed their lives. In our last week's um, daily office, we read about Paul. And he's in Ephesus. And I'm freaking out because you know what? His handkerchief, his handkerchief, they could touch his handkerchief and get healed. That's how connected to the word. Paul says, the word is near us. There's no need to search for Christ. He has come to us. He is accessible to us. He bestows his riches on us. What are those riches? Our right standing with God. I mean, what could be more rich than that? The ability to stand before the Lord our God, our makers, upright, upright, not hunched over, upright. That's what Jesus' specialness has done for us. The intrinsic excellence and dignity that God has made us with, he gives us the ability to live in that. But the way to standing is first, has to first start with a bow. And Joseph's brothers would find that out, wouldn't they? But they were not, they were not into it in the beginning. When we look at the story of Joseph, we see this glorious reflection that closely mirrors the life of Jesus Christ. This isn't a coincidence or the result of Jesus emulating Joseph as his favorite Bible hero. It is this way because God has been telling his story of redemption to us in stories all along the way. God has been laying, laying, he's been speaking this narrative of Jesus Christ throughout redemptive history. Speaking salvation through his only begotten, beloved son. Now, we don't get the story of Joseph, the full one, in our, in our text today. The delicious end is next week. But we'll do what, what we have. Joseph was Jacob, his father's favorite son. And everyone knew it. I don't know about you guys. In our family, we had a, there was a favorite, but nobody admitted it. Uh-uh, no, we're, we, don't, we don't have favorites. Well, you know, Jacob and his family, he made Joseph a coat of many colors and no, none of the other brothers. I'm like, what is up with that? 
I always thought that was horribly unfair to the others, and I could, I could relate to them being upset with and not really being jealous of, of Joseph. And I thought of Jacob, you know, he's not a very astute parent. He just isn't. This favoritism brought out the worst in the brothers. Then, of course, Joseph doesn't help. He announces this dream that they're going to bow to him. <laughs> yeah, Joseph, endear yourself. And then the second dream, right? The father, Jacob, gets on to him about the second one because now the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars are bowing down to him. Well, there's a progression to the, to the brothers' reactions that show how what we listen to what we accept, the story that we take into our minds will produce emotional response and physical response. Let's go through it. Verse 4, when his brothers saw that the father loved him more than all his other brothers, all the brothers, they hated him and they didn't, couldn't say a peaceful word to him. They hated him and they couldn't say a peaceful, which means they, they said angry words at him, right? There, there is, um, they listen to the story that not only that their brother was more loved than them, but conversely, that means we must not be loved enough. The hate in their mind transferred to that hateful speech. Verse 5, when Joseph told them his dream, they hated him even more. His dream that they, would, that they would bow to him, that they were continuing to hear Joseph, you're more important than us. And now he, the youngest, was saying his special place, which should have been theirs, that he was going to be in a position to lord over them, that he was going to be able to tell them what to do. They were going to be his slaves. Verse 8. They say, are you indeed going to reign over us? Are you indeed going to rule over us? It reminds me of Psalm 2. You know, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? They, they uh, take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds from us and cast their cords away. We don't want that rule. So verse 11 the brothers are jealous of him. Verse 19, the brothers speak out of their mouths what their minds have been listening to. They say, here comes that dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. A active, right? In verse 23, they strip him of his favored status. They take his robe, they throw him into the pit, and then they sell him into slavery, human trafficking their own brother. Now notice... The brothers listening to the story, they, are, they listened to the story that envy was telling them. That Joseph was spoiled, given privilege that should be theirs. Joseph, that dreamer who thinks he's going to be our ruler. Hatred on the inside turns to violent actions. They grab him, they strip him, throw him into the pit, and traffic him. Assuming they're never going to see him again. And then, cap it off, they lie to their father. Hide it. They don't really want to know. Yeah, they know it's not the right thing. The brothers were listening to the wrong storyteller, weren't they? When we listen and accept something, we come to believe it, we synchronize with the story that we listen to. 
The brothers didn't know, but we know that Joseph ends up enduring hardship after hardship, but also that when famine would come, he would be there to hand bread to his family and save them. The real story, they couldn't hear the story of redemption in the dreams. They could only think about Joseph being the object of their father's special love. They could only hear their own envy. They only heard the story of their own individual humiliation. And yet, just like Jesus, Joseph was being sent ahead as an instrument of God to bless them, to save them by putting Joseph in charge of the bread to give his hungry people. But first, they must come and bow. We've heard that we need to be very intentional about what storyteller we listen to because we synchronize our life our emotions, our actions to the storyteller we, we are in one with, we accept. We've heard that the redemptive story contained in Jesus, that word that is near us, that word that says, you are loved, you are precious, so much so that Jesus willingly gave his life for us so that we could be given right standing, so we could stand up in intrinsic excellence and the dignity that God made every one of us to have, who by faith confess Jesus as Lord, believes in their heart that Jesus was resurrected, that he's living and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, will be saved and not put to shame. The other storyteller, that one that speaks the narrative that you're not loved, that you can be good enough on your own, you know, you don't need Jesus' righteousness. You can climb that ladder of by good deeds, win favor, or the other is that you're too bad to be saved, or that you're bad. The other storyteller tells us that Jesus as Lord is going to cramp your style. You don't need to listen to him. You can be wise and rule your own life. I love that God has been telling us his story for so many years in so many illustrative, connected stories in this witness. This witness and I love that as we prepare to receive the bread of life at his table, that he is continually equipping us with strength, with, with um, renewal, with solace, with pardon. Jesus was sent ahead as a person of redemption. He went before us so that he could save us with the bread of life. The word is near us. It's in our mouths. It's in our hearts. May we, brothers and sisters, proclaim his 
righteousness. May we proclaim our faith in him. May we proclaim Jesus as Lord, as the resurrected Christ, Jesus the Christ, so others too may come to know his loving, his kind, and his wise rule, so others can live standing upright in intrinsic excellence and dignity that God made for them to be in. Let us help our neighbors listen to the great storyteller of all, the one whose narrative will live forever and ever and ever. Let us tell the story of his great deep love for them, because if we don't open our mouths, how will they hear? Many are not walking into these walls. Many will not ever come into a church. We have to be the voice going out. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.